We were uh, we were so bummed to have to cancel church last week uh, with the snow, and uh, it was a hard call uh, because we just did not want to do it because we're so excited about uh, kind of what we're entering into now. Um, but just one of the challenges of being a mobile church, I suppose, is uh, we actually bring all this all this stuff in we we bring in in a trailer, and so we were a little worried about being able to take it from Northwest Lincoln to here. And we kind of figured that the parks were probably not the highest priority for the city to shovel. Um, and it turns out, yeah, it wouldn't have been cleared uh, in time for us to be here on Sunday. So we were super bummed to do that. But just know, if it ever dumps again on Saturday night and we have to call it, that's why. So, um, But it feels like I haven't been here forever. We actually took a vacation uh, to Disney with our girls uh, this last month, which was awesome. They were on cloud nine for like an entire week. And... Uh, just absolutely love Disney World. And then last week, or two weeks ago, rather, um, my buddy Jake came and spoke. How many of you here for that? What do you think? Is it good? I heard a lot of great feedback. And uh, a lot of people just said that uh, it was so powerful, so awesome. And I love I loved Jake. Jake's a very good friend of mine and very kindred spirits. And uh, it's cool. I got to hear a lot of great feedback just uh, from, from the message and just God stirring in a lot of hearts and speaking to a lot of people here. Uh, but it's cool because Jake called me as soon as he was done. And, uh, and as much as so many of you were blown away by him, he was really blown away by the people of this community. And uh, called me as soon as he left. And, and he said, uh, well, actually, the first thing he said is like, man, you guys are a pretty young church. <laughs> so he said there's a lot of life and energy. And so, yep, yeah, we're pretty young. But then he said, he said, I could not believe, um, I cannot believe how many people uh, are invested in the community of Mosaic. He said, I, everywhere I looked around, I saw people, uh, you know, pursuing others to connect and looking for, looking for people who were kind of on the outside or visiting. I saw people serving in all these different roles and jumping in to help. And uh, he said, actually, I, I leave really convicted and really challenged to let go of a lot of the things that I've been holding on to and letting other people step up. And so that was super cool. And I say that just because it's such a cool, it just speaks so highly of this community and uh, all of you who make this church what it is. And uh, being away, all I kept thinking was, I just want to be at Mosaic. You know, it's like every time I step away and I get to be a part of another church, I love seeing what other churches are doing, but I always just want to be here and be a part of Mosaic. Um, and so, I don't know, looking back at the last, the last year to 18 months, I feel like uh, I've just been in this place of overwhelmed, like, gratefulness. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen God do so many different things and, and so many powerful things. Um, things that have been uh, modern miracles and life change and provision and so many people connecting to this community. And I'm just blown away. And it's funny to think back because my biggest fear when we were putting this thing together was failure. I was so afraid that uh, we were going to fail. You know, like I think a lot of us do when we step out and try something new. Um, but the more that I, I grow and the more that I move forward and the more that God's teaching me along the way, the more that I'm, I'm beginning to realize that uh, the truth is that failure is is not the worst thing when it comes to our faith. Uh, not even close. In fact, I, I would argue that in failure and crisis, oftentimes it's, it's a catalyst for some of the greatest work in, of, of God in our life. Right? Some, of the, some of those beautiful psalms that we have in the scriptures were written by David as he was running for his life. Right? When we're in desperation, when we're in, we're in crisis, uh, we're stripped of our feelings of self-sufficiency. Right? We, we find ourselves in a place of, of desperation, desperate for God's help oftentimes. And we realize just how weak and feeble uh, we can be as humanity. And what I'm realizing is that it's really not failure that we need to be worried about. If anything, if we need to 
put our spiritual antenna up and get very intentional and see God's in those seasons of success. It's not failure that will test your faith. It's success. That's what I'm realizing. Because in success, we start to feel pretty good about ourselves sometimes. Right? We start to see things happen. We start meeting some of our goals. Start looking around and saying, wow, look at, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Right? We're all right. We're doing okay. And we start to wander. So this season is. And the, and the interesting thing is, of course, is that it's not that God wasn't there in those seasons of fruitfulness and success. It's that we tend to wander because we start to feel pretty good about ourselves and we forget how much we need God. And we are desperate for him like we often are in failure and crisis. So I say all that um, to set up this morning because for us as a church, uh, over the last 12, 18 months, um, we've gotten to experience a lot of success. You know, what a lot of people would consider success as a church. And some of those things should be celebrated, right? We should praise God for the life change that we've seen, for how many people we see connecting with this community, with the money that's being sent out. I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited about, but, but it also worries me a little bit. Right? It also makes me think, you know what, if anything, this needs to be a season where we hit pause, right? kind of the Zach Morris timeout, stop for a second and get very honest about where we're at. Right, time to re-examine right, what this is all about, right, why we are gathered in a room on Sunday morning. Right, pursue with renewed fervency the one for, for whom all of this is for. And so that being said, that is what uh, we're going to seek to do beginning this morning uh, for the next month. And this morning we're starting uh, what we're calling 28 Days of Prayer. And, and 28 Days of Prayer, just so you know, it's, it's more than a season or it's more than a series. Uh, it's a season of intentionality, of, of seeking God. Right? What we want to do is, as we get ready now to wrap up our first year, we're going to have our one-year birthday. I think somebody mentioned we're going to have our one-year birthday here in a few weeks, which is awesome. But as our first year comes to a close and we get ready to enter into year two, we wanted to take a season to lean in, right? to carve out some space, to really seek God and what He desires for this community. We want to talk about prayer. We wanted to seek God in prayer and seek what he would have for us in this next year. So, that being said, all right, I want to start off this morning by asking you a very personal question. All right? Very personal question. Do you believe God answers prayer? Right, I don't mean that philosophically. Right? I don't mean that theologically because I know you have to say yes. All right? I mean that practically. Right? Do you believe that God hears your prayers? And that he answers your prayers. Really? Do you believe that the God of the universe, who created all this, who holds the, palm, the earth in the palm of his hand, right, who entered into time and space, who conquered sin and death to be with you, that he loves you, that he is for you, that he hears you when you cry out to him, that he answers your prayers? Do you believe that God answers prayer? All right, second question. Is that reflect, reflected in the way that you pray? Do your prayers suggest that you really believe that God answers your prayers? All right, just say hypothetically when your life is over. God were to hand you a sheet of paper, and on that sheet of paper were a number of adjectives, a number of words describing the way that you pray, the way that you came to him in prayer. What would be on that list? What kinds of words would God say, that's how you pray? Would, it, would that list include words like bold, right, audacious, inspiring, right, faithful, 
moving, powerful, would any of those words be on that list? Or would the list perhaps include words like routine, weak, right, uninspiring, doubtful, faithless, tentative? All right, now third question. Thinking about what words would be on your list, how do you think God feels about that? And how might that affect the way that he responds to some of your prayers? You see, how we pray, I ask those questions because how we pray matters. It matters a lot. Because how we pray reveals what we really believe about God. Right? If you believe in a weak God, you're going to pray weak prayers. Right? If your view of God is very small, your prayers are going to be very, very small. If you doubt God's character and intentions, your prayers are going to be very, very tentative and always with an escape clause. How you pray matters. It's a spiritual issue because it reveals how you, how you, what you really believe about God. But it's also a practical issue because how you pray affects the way that God responds to you. All right, so this morning I want to... As we talk about prayer, there are so many things that we could talk about. And there's so many things I want to talk about. I'm like bursting with content, but I'm going to focus it uh, for your sake this morning. Um, And I want to submit to you that there are two very common, very critical ways that we fall short in our prayers and we miss what God wants to do in our lives. One, we pray small, feeble prayers that don't demand God's intervention to begin with. Small, feeble, faithless prayers. That's one. Two, that we pray such vague, ambiguous prayers. Prayers that are so cloudy that we don't even really know what we're asking. So that even if God was to answer them, we really wouldn't know. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that God invites us. He invites you and I. He dares you and I to pray audaciously, to pray with boldness and to pray with clarity. And that when we do that and we root those prayers, those clear, audacious prayers in the promises of God, that it moves God's hand to act on our behalf. All right, so if you have a Bible this morning, uh, I'm going to Joshua chapter 6. If you have a smartphone, uh, you can do that as well. Um, We are using uh, the Bible app. So if you search in your marketplace uh, for Bible, the very first thing that's going to pop up uh, is an application that was created by LifeChurch.tv. And if you go to live events, you're going to see Mosaic on there. You can follow along with notes and scripture on there if you want to. So, so many people asked about it. We're doing it again. So, um, that being said, Joshua 6, verse 1. This is what it says. I want to look at one of those promises, one of those fulfilled promises. Verse 1. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now march around the city once with all the armed men, and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, 
take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up the early next morning, and the priests took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. Then the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Whenever I picture the city of Jericho, uh, I always think of Helm's Deep in uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like this formidable fortress tucked back in the rock and like all the guards on the, on the wall, and it just looks like this impenetrable fortress. Right? The city of Jericho was not exactly that, but it was, it was huge. In fact, it was six feet wide at the base, 50 feet high on the tallest wall. It encircled a 12, what was a 12-acre city and looked like an impenetrable fortress to this people who were moving on foot. Not only were the Israelites ill-equipped, but obviously they were given some nonsensical instructions as to how to engage this battle. Right? Your entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, you're to march around the city seven times. <clears throat> now, you know as I do, every single one of those soldiers are wondering why. All right, why? Why are we doing this? All right, why are we not carrying weapons? Right? Why not use a battling ram? Uh, why not... Try to scale the walls, right? Why not cut off the water supply, right? We have military tactics for this kind of thing. Why is this what we're supposed to do, right? But God said, nope, I want you to silently circle the city. Just pray and walk for seven days, 13 times around that city, pray and walk. And on the seventh day, that wall will fall. It seemed nonsensical. It made no military sense. But the one thing that they did know was that God had given them clear instructions to do this. And secondly, that this city represented a promise. Right? This land on which the city stood was promised land that God had promised to give to his people. And so what God was calling them to do aligned with a promise that God had made to his people. And the city of Jericho stood between God's people and God's promise. And that is never a good place to be for an enemy. And so as foolish as it seems, people moved forward in faith. And began to circle the city. First time around, I'm sure they felt absolutely ridiculous. Right? There's probably jeering. Uh, you know, the enemy probably was shouting at them, making fun of them, wondering what in the world they were doing. But they just walked. Circled the city. Circled the promise in prayer. Slowly but surely, right, their, their strides became more confident. Their prayers, perhaps, became more bold. On the seventh day, they got up at sunrise... 6 a.m. began to walk around that city. 12 acres. All right, three miles per hour, take them about 30 minutes to make a circle. 
By 9 a.m., they're ready to make their final lap. And they circle that city, circled in prayer. And then after the seventh time around, they shouted. Six, it was a lot of people. It was uh, 600,000 Israelites raised a holy roar together that probably registered on the Richter scale, and that wall fell. Seven days, right after seven days of circling prayer, God delivered on what was a 400-year-old promise, and he proved once again that God's promises do not have expiration dates. And that if you keep circling the promise, that eventually and surely God is going to deliver. So, why are we talking about this? Why are we telling this fantastical story? Why are we looking at this example? Right, this story is a microcosm. Right, it is a single example that reveals truth about the way that God works and about his character, how God chooses to move. That God invites us, you and I, to own his promises and to pray big. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but it's because God is a good God and he keeps his promises. Listen to the way that what Jesus says in John 14, 12 through 14. All right, this should move us. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do for you, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do we really believe that? Do we pray like that? When Jesus says, hey, you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it for you. Now, obviously, let me just preface this. You can't ask for anything, right? Okay, when Jesus says in ancient culture, this culture, right, somebody's name was interconnected to who they were. All right, so Jesus, when Jesus says anything that you pray in my name, he's talking about something that aligns with the character and the will of God. So you can't ask God for a million dollars and be like, hey, Jesus, in your name, give me a million dollars. Right? There are certain things that God desires, but when we pray in alignment with what God has promised, that he moves, that he hears, that miracles will happen. Right? That's God's invitation to us. Right? God invites us to pray boldly, to pray audaciously, but for many of us, I don't think we do that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of pretty lame prayers. Right? I've prayed a lot of lame prayers. In fact, show of hands, all right, if you've ever prayed this prayer, and you might as well just raise your hand because I know you did, so you might as well get honest. And we all know where liars go, so to Washington, D.C. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Just didn't mean that. Didn't mean that. But just right, answer this question. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, if it be thy will. Lord, if it be your will, God, if it is your will. Right? Ever pray that? Anybody? Come on. Raise my hands. Yeah, I know you did. All right? I pray that. I find myself praying that for most of my life. I, use, I prayed every prayer with that little, like, addendum, as if God needs an escape clause on every one of my prayers. He's like, oh, phew, thanks for that. I was not going to answer your prayer, but since you said that, you know, thanks for giving me an out. Right? And, and we pray this, let it be thy will. It's got that King James flair, you know, as if God only responds to, like, Shakespeare and prayers, prayers. Right? Let it be, if it is thy will, God. Right? And it sounds, it sounds holy, in a way. Right? It sounds humble. But I realized that when I prayed that, I wasn't praying it because I was humble. Right? That wasn't a reflection of my heart. Really, I was praying it because I was scared. Because it, 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 it let me off the hook. 
whenever I asked God for something. Right? And it made whatever I was about to pray feel a whole lot safer. And so in that way, it's kind of a cop-out. Lord, if it be your will. Like, if it's not his will, he's not going to do it, right? right? Does that have to be said? You can ask God for stuff, and if it's not in his will, he's not going to do it, right? He's not going to say, well, that wasn't in my will, but since you prayed it, right? If it's not in his will, he's not going to do it. And we pray, Lord, if it be thy will, right? What does that reveal about what we believe about God, what we believe about prayer, whether we actually expect him to move? It's like saying, you know what, God? I don't really believe you're going to answer this prayer, so I'm just going to let you off the hook on the front end and acknowledge that on the front end. Right? Let it be thy will. Or how about this one? Uh, this is great. Lord, just be with me. Lord, would you just be with me? Right? I, I still find catch myself praying that prayer. In fact, <laughs> I shared it. I, I said this one Sunday. I shared this before. And I know it because my wife pointed it out. She had prayed up here, and she had just prayed that prayer. And then I got up and made fun of it. <laughs> but I pray it too. I catch myself all the time. Lord, would you just be with me? And I wonder if God's not like, I didn't know I wasn't. I was under the impression that I inhabit all time and space, but apparently you have eluded my presence. <laughs> right? God is there. God, Lord, just be with me. Right? That is a safe prayer. That is a sanitized prayer. Right? That is a puny little wimpy prayer. Lord, be with me. It's so noncommittal. Right? How are you going to measure that if God moves? Would you even know? Why do we pray that? Right? Do we, is that one of those things we just say when we don't know what else to say? You do know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's not only with you, he's in you. Right? Lord, just be with me. He's there. He's with you. Lord, if it just be thy will. How are you going to measure that? I remember in uh, college, <coughs> Leadership Management 101, talking about goals. Right? I was taught that all goals need to be specific, they need to be measurable, and they need to be achievable. Right? I would submit to you that a good prayer needs to be specific, it needs to be measurable, and it needs to be impossible to achieve so that God can show up and show you that he is God, so that God can move in response to your prayers. Listen to this. 1 John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If it's in accordance with his will, he hears us. So let me ask you a question. When is the last time God did something in your life so profound, so big, so moving, so undeniably him, that you just couldn't help but fall on your face before God? When's the last time he moved in your life in such a powerful way, such an unexplainable way, such a miraculous way, that there was no doubt as to who did that? If you can't remember... You're praying too small. If you cannot call to mind a time that's happened, I promise you, you're praying too small. Now, point of clarification, I'm not saying that God does not care about small prayers. In fact, I love this passage, uh, Philippians 4, 6. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests before God. Listen, God cares about the details of your life. He invites us to bring all of our stuff, all of our requests before him. But if your prayer life consists solely of small, petty prayers, you are robbing God of the opportunity that he desires to show himself faithful in your life, to accomplish the impossible through your life, 
to use you as a light in the darkness, to show himself faithful. That's what God does. I'm a confession. I'm a big sweet tooth. I love candy. So I've been enjoying uh, some of God's greatest creation for a number of years, uh, like lemon heads, right? Hallelujah. Swedish fish, right? May his name be praised. Uh, Sour Patch Kids, right? I, I, I'm, I'm horrible. I love, love candy. So when I was in college, I had, you ever seen those like five pound buckets of red vines? You know, like that big. I had two of those in my possession at all times, just in case I ran out in my room. I think I lived on red vines and Easy Mac for like four years. Love, love, love candy. I actually looked it up yesterday. You know, those things have like 7,000 calories, like 800 grams of sugar in one bucket. I don't even want to think about how much I ate. But I love, I love candy. And my wife, we've got like this candy drawer in our house. And when you have little kids, it's got to be up high. You know? So we put it up like seven feet high so they can't get it. Uh, we put their candy up there too. I ate all the kids' Pez from Christmas. Um, <laughs> and Megan is way more disciplined than I am when it comes to candy. But she does have a weak spot, and it's Laffy Taffy, like the big ones. You know? So just imagine, okay, just hypothetical. Just imagine for a moment, Megan leaves town, and I go on a candy binge, and I eat all of her Laffy Taffy. Gone, right? So she comes home, and she asks me what's really a rhetorical question. She says, hey, who ate my candy? Who ate my Laffy Taffy, right? She knows, but she's giving me a chance to confess, so naturally I say, must have been Paige. Uh, I don't know. You know the moment that I say that, right? The moment that I say that, she's going to point out the obvious fact that Paige is four years old. She is very small, and there is no possible way she can reach seven feet up and get that candy. All right, why do I say this? Because I don't know about you, but I want to pray the kinds of prayers that reach so incredibly high that people in and around my life can't help but point back to God and say, that was so you. That was so you. There's no possible way that that was Loy. I know that guy. I want to pray prayers for you, for this church, for this city, that when God moves, people inside this community and out just look and say, that is so God. That is so God. There's no way they accomplished that. Especially under Aaron's leadership. Because I know that guy. I believe that God loves it when we pray those kinds of prayers. I believe that God is waiting for us to pray those kinds of prayers. That they actually move the heart of God. And if you, listen, if you've never seen God respond to prayers like that, you are missing out on some of the best. It'll change your life. And it'll cause you to keep praying bigger and bigger. In 2004, we were, my wife and I took a team of 50 high school kids uh, on a missions trip across Western Europe. And so for two months, we, we camped across Western Europe, uh, nine countries. And what we would do is we would, we would do these performances in very public spaces, um, amongst other things. But that was kind of our main thing is we do these big performances and, and we draw in crowds and we, we'd share the gospel, talk to people about Jesus. And, uh, and it was really cool. It was a very growing experience. And so we've been doing this for about six weeks, and, and it was a lot of work, a lot of work, um, long days, but it was so rewarding, so awesome. We'd been building up to Prague. And uh, Prague, like Western Europe, is all very pro- post-Christian culture. Uh, very, there's a lot of animosity towards organized religion, and rightfully so in a lot of ways. Uh, but Prague is one of those cities that they tend to be more receptive uh, to the gospel message of Jesus. 
And we knew that in Prague, uh, you had a very highly centralized area. Like, there's this main square in Prague. There's this really cool, like, glockenspiel type thing where the, the clock does all these, you know, crazy things. And hundreds of people gather at this space. And there's all these restaurants around the center. <coughs> Tons of people. And so we'd been preparing for Prague. We'd been praying for Prague uh, for a number of weeks because it was going to be one of our best opportunities of the, of the summer uh, to really reach out and minister to some people. And so we did this. And, and as soon as we got to Prague, like, forecasts just said, like, rain for as long as the forecast showed us, just days. Um, and it just torrential downpour on everything. All of our stuff was soaking wet. Our tents were flooded. It was awful. But we decided that we were going to move out and, and go to this center anyway and, and just see what happens. Hopefully the rain would stop. So we got there, and, and the rain did stop uh, momentarily, uh, but our sound system wouldn't work. And so we're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And so we're, we're messing with it, trying to figure out what happened. To this day, I have no idea what happened, but it wouldn't work. And uh, we watched as we we're trying to fiddle with this thing, this giant wall cloud come rolling in over the sea of Prague. Just like scary. You know, one of those is so dark and there's lightning and thunder and you're just thinking, oh my goodness, this is not good. And so there's nothing really else we could do but tell the kids, you need to pray. You need to pray. Right? You need to pray that God holds off the rain and that our, we have a sound system that works. Because uh, this is a disappointment in the making for sure. And so these kids circled up, and they started praying. Started praying, started praying. And uh, as they were praying, this guy came up. After about 15 minutes, he said, hey, what are you guys doing? We're like, um, going to do a performance if our sound system will work, and it doesn't rain. And he said, are you guys Christian? And you never know when, how to answer that question, you know? Like, do you actually, like, tell them the truth or not? Um, but we decided to. We said, yes, we are. He said, very cool. I'm a missionary. So we're like, oh, Awesome. He was like, what do you need? So well, actually, we need a sound system. He said, I'll be back in 10 minutes. So he took off. While he took off, like these walls came in, and it started just torrential downpour everywhere. You ever been like so close to the rain, you can smell it, you can feel it, and, and we could hear it like raining all around us in the city? Well, this guy comes back after 10 minutes. We get the sound system, and we begin to perform. It's just perfect timing. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we perform and, and before hundreds of people, and, and, and it was amazing. And we, we actually, during that time, we looked up, and these kids keep praying. We're just praying, just hold off long enough to perform, hold off rain long enough to be able to speak with as many people as we can uh, before it rains. And we look up, and it's so cool. The enti- as, as far as you can see on the horizon, there's clouds and rain. Couldn't see the sky except for one spot. Directly above us was the only place that you could see Blue sky all around us, dark clouds, raining. It's raining in the city all around us. And we're sitting right there. And we got to share the gospel with so many people. And it was by far the most fruitful day of ministry. I remember watching as one of our students shared the gospel with this, this uh, gentleman who took off running, which I didn't think was a good thing. You know, I was like, oh, gosh, what did he say? Um, and he, he ends up running. The guy runs, grabs his wife, and comes back. She needs to hear this. This is my wife. And those two got on their knees, committed their lives to Christ, and accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior that day. And that day ended up being, by far, like the most fruitful day of that summer, the most powerful day of the summer. We saw more life change in that day than the entire summer combined. And what started out as looking like a, a disappointment, where the odds were stacked against us, ended up being the makings of a miracle. And on that day, I, 50 high school kids were crazy enough to believe that Jesus meant it. We said, when you ask anything in my name, 
I will give it to you. I will do it. They were crazy enough to believe that he meant uh, what he said when he said, the Spirit will come on you in power and truth. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. They are crazy enough to believe it when he said that what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And God did something powerful. On that day, for us, our Jericho looked a lot like a big wall cloud and a broken sound system. And God showed up and did something profoundly incredible in our midst. And I'm telling you, when you start to experience stuff like that, it ups your prayer game, right? You start praying bigger. You start believing God for miracles. And if you haven't seen that, I'm telling you, you are missing out. So here is my question for you this morning. With where you're at in this season of life, with what you're going through, uh, with what you're dreaming about, uh, relationally with where you're at, perhaps vocationally with where you're at, what is your Jericho? All right? What promises are you praying around? What miracle are you mar- marching around? Right? What dream does your life revolve around? If you don't have an answer to that question, what does that question, what does that need to be? What promises should you be circling around? What dreams, perhaps, have you disregarded somewhere along the way that need to be revisited? Right? What area of your life do you need God to move in? Because what I want to promise you, what I will promise you right now, as we enter into these 28 days of prayer together, is that God is ready and waiting. God is ready and waiting to do an extraordinary work in your life and through this church, if we will let him. But you've got to get clear and you've got to get bold in what you're asking. You know, about a thousand years uh, after the Jericho miracle, in the exact same place, two blind men stood outside the city and hollered at Jesus and asked for them to heal him. Jesus came over. The disciples were really annoyed. They were a lot. But Jesus saw it as a divine opportunity, and he stepped in. He asked them a very simple, obvious question that each one of us need to ask this morning. He asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Seems like a very obvious answer. And, of course, Jesus knows. It's not that Jesus doesn't know what they want him to do for him, but he wants to make sure that they know. So he makes them get clear. He makes them verbalize it out loud. What do you want me to do for you? All right, if Jesus were to ask you that question this morning, what would your answer be? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? When you walked in, there's a card on your seat. Uh, 20 days of prayer card. If you grab that real quick. Van, you can come on up. All right, this card is for you. And as we prepare to enter into 28 days of leaning into what God has for us, pursuing God, seeking God, and what He desires, I want to challenge you to get crystal clear on what you're asking God for, what you're going to circle in prayer for the next month. All right, that blank space on that card is for you. And I want to challenge you right now as, as the band gets ready to play, as we end up wrapping up, as you go home, to stir on that, to get very, very clear what area of your life do you need a miracle in right now? Right? And it doesn't have to be something that would land you on the evening news, right? But it has to be important to you. And if it's important to you, it's important to God because he cares. What area do you need God to move in? Right? Don't slough this off. Get clear. Write it down. Circle it in prayer. And we want to circle it in prayer with you for the next 28 days because there is power in prayer. 
there's power in bold, audacious prayer because God wants to show himself faithful in your life. All right? This empty space is for you. Now, on this, you're also going to see there's a few other things that we've already put on this card, things that we're asking you to join us in circling in prayer as a community for the next 28 days. All right? These are uh, very specific to us as a community and to where we're at. And I'm not going to launch into them right now uh, for time's sake, uh, but they're there. And we'll be talking more about them uh, in the next 28 days. Along with that, just so you know, so this is what this looks like for the next 28 days for us. On Sundays, we're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be talking about fasting. Um, we're going to be talking about what it means to seek God and what he desires, all right? Uh, but for the, we're, this isn't going to be just a Sunday thing. Like I said, this is not just a series for us. This is, this is a, a season of seeking God. So every weekday at 7 a.m., we're going to gather in prayer together. Anybody who wants to can join us. And obviously, we don't own a permanent facility, so it's kind of uniquely challenging for us. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to do that online. We're going to gather together online um, under your card. At the bottom of that, uh, the bottom of the card is a link to our website, a page on our website. And on that, at that link, 7 a.m. every weekday, we're going to gather together in prayer. We're going to circle in prayer together. We're going to pray over your card. We're going to pray over these things for our for our community, and we're going to pray for our city and for those that God has placed around us who need God's work in their life. We're going to circle together in prayer, and God's going to move. Right? I promise you that. So we're going to gather there, and then another thing that we have, just so you know, and we invite you to take part in this, is we've created on our Facebook page uh, a, a prayer wall, a digital prayer wall, for us to, uh, for you to submit your prayer requests. And we have a team of people who are going to be covering those in prayer every day for the next 28 days. All right, so we invite you to be a part of that. We also invite you to share that with anybody who wants prayer. All right, we're going to circle that in prayer and believe that God's going to move. And I promise you, he will. Obviously, uh, Kevin um, also shared that we're going to do something here at Ash Wednesday. Just to prepare you just briefly for that, um, on Ash Wednesday... Uh, we're going to gather here 7 p.m. Is that right, Kevin? 7 p.m. And uh, we're going to prepare ourselves for Easter. And on that day, we're going to enter into a season of fasting uh, together as a community. And that can be fasting from food for you. That can be a lifestyle fast. I'm going to talk more about that next week. Uh, but be, be thinking about that as we, as we lean into that. Right? Prayer is something that connects us to God. Fasting is something that disconnects us from the world. And together, they are a potent tool in the hands of God. For the next 28 days, we're going to lean in. Listen, if there's power in prayer for an individual, imagine what God can do when a community of people circle in prayer together. I don't know about you, but I want to see what happens when, that, when a community does that. Right? And I believe the repercussions in the next 28 days are going to be felt not just over the next month, but over the next year. And to pave the way for God to do some, again, continue to do miracles in and through this community. Amen? All right, so... Let me pray for you, and then we're going to, if you would, stand, and we're going to worship together. Father God, we ask you, Lord, to help us in our unbelief. And we come before you and we say that, just confess, that for many of us, God, we doubt. We pray small, wimpy, sanitized prayers. We pray too small, oftentimes. Father God, help us in our unbelief. God, reveal to us those areas in our life where we need you to come through in a powerful, miraculous way. And Father God, we are believing that you're going to move.
because you are a God who keeps your promises. Father God, as we come before you in worship and as we offer you our tithes and our offerings, God, we ask that you would multiply what you're doing in our lives. And we ask that you move in miraculous ways over the next 28 days. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.